feel for who do people think that I am in this uh, northern part of of uh, the Holy Land, actually outside of the Holy Land. So uh, that's the context. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, which we believe is his confession that Jesus is the Christ, on this rock, this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let's pray this morning as we uh, open up God's word. Lord, thank you for uh, the beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together as the body of Christ and to uh, sing praises to you, to encourage one another. Lord, thank you for the, uh, the truth that our Redeemer is faithful and true. And even when we're faithless, even when we let you down, that um, you are always there, your word is true, and uh, you are um, our rock and our fortress. This morning, we ask that you would open up our ears, open up our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to your truth and what you have for us this morning. And we pray that uh, the Spirit of God would speak to each of us through his work in our lives. And we thank you and praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, whether you're aware of it or not... Um, about 12 years ago, there was a movement that was started called National Back to Church Sunday, and it was designated for the Sunday in September, and probably to go along with kids going back to school and, and to try and encourage people to go, go back to church, and perhaps that movement's never more significant than, than um, this year when we're uh, coming off of a highly unusual uh, past year and a half. So since 2009, uh, this movement's been going on. Uh, about 31,000 churches have taken part in it, and um, we just kind of took the name tag of it and just uh, thought, well, let's just uh, think about that for a little bit. But one of the key components to it is actually personally inviting someone to come to church. Uh, statistics tell us that 50% of people that come to church have never, ever invited another person to church, but... Uh, I want you to know a personal invitation is highly effective. In fact, statistics say that uh, anywhere from like 60 to 80% of people will respond positively to a personal invitation. Well, this morning we have a little clip from this Back to Church Sunday movement. Well, that was a little bit of humor this morning, but uh, there are ways of doing it and there are ways of not doing it, and uh, uh, that sends an interesting message Well, this morning we want to think about um, the state of the church in America and thinking about the priority of the church. And then after we think about that, uh, we're going to look at six reasons why the church should be a priority in our lives. So I'm going to be a little bit of a salesperson here this morning. That's not my nature, but we're going to look at six reasons why uh, the church should be a priority in our lives. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's think about where is the church today in, in America, and what's kind of the culture that we're, we're living in? And uh, sadly, the church in America is in, in decline. 
Uh, let me share from uh, Christianity Today magazine a recent article, and this is what they write. There was a time in America when the church was the focal point of the community, its culture and calendar. Families would make it a priority to attend church services and functions almost every time the church doors were open. So Christianity Today is looking at this is, uh, we live in a different culture where um, used to be that the church was the focal point, the church was the, the priority, and, and uh, that was the world that I grew up in. Um, I, I have maybe a little bit of a biased viewpoint on the church. My, I grew up as a pastor's son, and so uh, I've been in church every Sunday in my life since I was two weeks old, basically. And uh, so let me tell you about the culture that I grew up in church-wise and granted, we're going back 60 years ago, so this is a long time ago. Um, I was already feeling a little bit uh, old, and then uh, about 10 days ago, I visited my nephew, who was having some pretty serious surgery at University of Michigan Hospital. I stopped in to see him uh, a week or 10 days ago and was chatting with him, and I noticed his, his roommate was... Um, Obviously, he had a roommate, but his roommate wasn't in the room. And he says, yeah, he's, he's down for some dialysis. And he said to me, and, and my nephew's 20 years old, he said to me, yeah, he says, he's some old guy. He was born in 1956. He's some old guy. And I'm thinking, I was born in 55. He's an old guy? And, and, and so, granted, this is from 60 years ago, but here's the culture that I grew up in, in a pastor's family. Our preparation for church started on Saturday night, and uh, and so I was the middle of three boys, and if you're going to get three boys ready to go and out the door, you start to prepare Saturday night, and uh, it's not good for the pastor's family to be late to church, so, you know, it was pretty important to be on time, and so, uh, you know, Saturday night was bath time, and then, uh, you know, shine your shoes, and my mom's laying our clothes out, and then here was our, here was our week uh, exposure to church. Um, we had Sunday school, uh, followed by uh, worship service, uh, and then in the evening we had something called training union, and I'm not even sure what that was, but it was some sort of program for kids at 5 o'clock, and then at 6 o'clock we had evening church, and then, uh, and then we had a Wednesday night service, and then on Friday night we had like a boys' brigade and a pioneer girls' club similar to Awana, and that was just our regular interaction with the church. And when you think about uh, how many exposures that is, that's well, Sunday school, one worship service, training union, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, uh, Friday night uh, like an Awana program, that's, that's six engagements with the church, and we did that every week. And you might say, well, man, that, you know, that's a little bit of overload. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, my, you know, my, my two brothers and their families are very, very involved in, the, in their churches, and obviously I'm involved in church as well. It, it, uh, it didn't drive me away. It gave me this fo- foundation for, for um, knowing what I believe. Uh, but that's the way things used to be. The article goes on to say, times have certainly changed, and our culture's not there anymore. The majority of Americans no longer attend church on a weekly basis. So if you attend church on a weekly basis, you're part of the 25% of America that does that. About one out of four attend on a weekly basis. Uh, This is the Christianity Today article. Reasons for this are varied, but include... 
Number one, the availability of church services and religious content online. Well, that might impact some people. I mean, why get up and get go to all that work, get ready and go to church where you can just get up in your pajamas and put your coffee on and watch it on television, live stream? We've got a couple cameras we just put in here in the last uh, month or so, and uh, we'll be launching our live stream, but uh, that, that might be part of it. Secondly, reasons why our culture has changed, the proliferation of other activities for family members on weekends. And so um, our culture has changed from 60 years ago, and now on weekends there is a plethora of things that can you can do. And there's all sorts of options and activities and things that are pulling for our time. And, and Sunday is no longer a sacred day. It's no longer what it used to be in most people's minds. It's, it's mostly an opportunity for a longer weekend and for a fun day. And so uh, the proliferation of all these other things that we can um, be involved with. Thirdly, the general increase of a more secular mindset for many Americans. So uh, the, the largest growing category when they do religious surveys, the largest growing category is people that say, I have no religious affiliation. I, I don't. I'm not connected to a church. I'm totally um, uh, unattached, and and religiously, I don't have any any category. Well, that's uh, Christianity Today describing where the American church is. Um, second article. This is from Church Answers, and so Tom Raynar is the CEO. Used to be um, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, Church Answers kind of has a, a, a pulse on where churches are in America. And here's what they have to say. Uh, this is some observations from the leadership team. Are we beginning to see an attendance pattern among churches in North America? Uh, there was a sense of unanimity among the leadership of Church Answers that we are calling the 30-40-30 hypothesis. The 30-40-30 hypothesis. And thankfully, it's just a hypothesis. I, I hope this isn't true. But here's what they're observing. Compared to pre-COVID numbers, about 30% of church worship attendance has disappeared. Thankfully, you're not in that 30% because you're here this morning. About 40% of attendees that have returned are only marginally committed, attending church once or maybe at the most twice a month. Another 30% of the pre-COVID numbers have returned. They are significantly committed, involved in ministry, and volunteer positions. Well, the most recent Gallup poll, um, 2020 Gallup poll, said that 47% of U.S. adults belonged to a church. That's down 20 percentage points from 2000. used to be 67%. Now we're down to about, about half of American adults that are somehow connected to a church the others have no religious preference, aren't connected to a church, feel no need for the church. And I'm afraid America, <clears throat> in, in a general sense, is, is headed down the pathway of, uh, the, where the country of England is or, or Scotland, where our missionaries Drew and Christine Van Team serve in Edinburgh, Scotland. You go to England today and you can tour these fantastic cathedrals and buildings and churches that are remarkable architecture and they're all completely empty. 
because nobody in England, very few people in England, care to engage and attend church. In fact, it's said that in England, you go to church three times in your lifetime. Hatch, uh, perhaps you're born and you go to christening. Match, when you go and get married. Dispatch, when you get buried. <laughs> Hatch, match, and dispatch. People in England, well, we'll go to church, but just, you know, for christening, for a wedding, maybe for a funeral, and, and that's it. And so this morning, just in our few minutes here, 25 minutes or so, we're going to think about six reasons why the church should be a priority. And uh, so let's, you can follow along in your outline in the bulletin or on the screen. And uh, let's look at reason number one. Reason number one is this, because the church is God's idea. This is God's idea. Uh, This is why the church is different from other organizations or other clubs that you can be involved in or service service groups. And there are many, many fine ones that uh, are helpful in our culture and promote good values and community things. But the church is distinct and different because the church is is God's idea. And we realize that there's three divinely ordained institutions that God gave us. Uh, and the first one is is marriage. Uh, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The second one is the government. Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God, and God ordained uh, government. And the third one is the, the church. And we read Matthew 16.18 that First mention of the church is in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And Acts chapter 2, the, the church was born. And uh, throughout most of the New Testament, if you outside of the Gospels, it's, it's all about the church, isn't it? It's, it's either written to churches or it's written to pastors. First and second Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus and Paul's writing to him. Um, you get to the book of Revelation, and there's uh, seven letters to seven churches. And so most of the New Testament is all about the church. The word in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. It means a called-out group. It's used 114 times in the New Testament. You come to Colossians chapter 1 and realize that Jesus... Um, Uh, Paul writes, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, the church is called uh, the church of the living God. It's called God's household. The church should be a priority because this this is God's idea. And when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and he's He's writing about the the gospel and the summary of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. (laughs) Paul's like, this here here is the the, the priority truth. And then he goes on to talk about the gospel, that Christ uh, died and was buried and he rose again for our sins. And that's the message of the church. And Paul says it's, it's the first priority. And so why the church should be a priority is because um, this, is, this is God's idea, and Jesus is, is the head of the church, and it's, it's his plan and his idea. Well, secondly, the second reason why the church should be a priority in our lives is not only is it God's idea, but, but the church was established at a great cost. The church was established 
at a great cost. I know over-familiarity, the saying is, brings, you know, we get used to seeing things, but um, when we come to Community Bible Church every Sunday, we, we see a, a cross behind me, and, and that cross is a symbol, and it's a symbol of, uh, of uh, execution in the Roman world, but for believers, it's, it's a special symbol. It symbolizes uh, the, the cost of our salvation, and that Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul's meeting the uh, Ephesian elders, and he knows it's the last time he's going to see them, and so he's giving them some, some instructions. And uh, he writes, and um, Dr. Luke records in Acts chapter 20, um, these, these words, verse 27, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, the church, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. <laughs> Be shepherds of God's church, which Jesus bought, what? With his blood. He, he, he wore that crown of thorns. He, he had those nails in his hand and his feet and the spear in his side and shed his blood. Why? For your salvation and for mine and to purchase the church. And so the church is something that was purchased um, by the blood of Christ. We sing the hymn, the church is one foundation. The first stanza says it's, it's Jesus Christ the Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came to sought her and be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life, he died. And so how quickly we forget the cost of our salvation. How quickly we forget what, what Jesus did to, to establish and to purchase the, the, the church. That's why in the upper room, before Jesus went to the cross, he took that Passover meal and he, he infused a new meaning into it. And it's called the, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And uh, the bread and the cup, and he says, this do what in remembrance of me, so that we never forget the cost of our salvation. And so the church is, is something that was uh, purchased with the blood of Christ. And when we realize the cost of something, the, it, it infuses a, a value in it. It means that we should, we should have some sort of um, importance in it. I brought along with me just to illustrate that point, um, a, a little Dixie cup here, and then this is the fanciest cup I could uh, find in our in our household. But uh, if I if I took a drink of water out of this Dixie cup and finished with it and just crumble it up and threw it away, you would think nothing of it because those things are like a tenth of a penny or something to to buy a Dixie cup. But uh, if I took a drink of water out of this uh, nice piece of uh, glass and, and say it was really, really worth something and I just discarded it, you were like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you don't just throw away something that's, that, that is, is, is valuable uh, because of the cost of it. You are going to treat it with great care. And I'll pick that up because that will bother some of you. And, and uh also notice my flashlight is on, so we'll turn that off too. All right. 
Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, or 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds the Corinthians of this, and we need to be reminded of it as well, um, these familiar verses about the cost of our salvation. And so Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own, for you are what? Bought with a price. And so we're reminded of that, that our lives are not our own, but we've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And so the church should be a priority because of the the great cost of Jesus' life to purchase the church. Uh, Thirdly, uh, why the church should be a priority in our lives. Number three, because the, the scriptures infer by pattern and precept that we are to be a part of the local church. Now, you'll not um, find a verse in the New Testament and, uh, you know, Second Hezekiah 4.3, it says uh, you, you need to be a part of a local church and be in church every Sunday. You'll not find a verse like that. But as you read through the New Testament and as you look at church history, um, something happened after the resurrection of Jesus, which was on Sunday. And it is uh, the believers started to meet together on the first day of the week. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul's in Troas on a missionary journey, and he says, on the first day of the week, we came together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's giving the church instructions about, about giving, and he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income uh, for this offering that we're taking. And so you, you look at church history, uh, the church started to meet on Sunday. For the first 300 years, it was in homes. After about the first 300 years, they started to build church buildings. But uh, by pattern and by precept, the Bible talks about the fact that we're to be a part of the church. And probably the most familiar common verse that's used to drive that point home is Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, where the, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. That's what we're, the church is about. We're not saved by our good deeds, but we're saved to do good works. So we need to spur one another on to, to loving one another and to doing good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But what? encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the the day of Christ. And so there the author of Hebrews says, hey, don't stop meeting together. Um, Keep coming together, uh, loving one another, uh, provoking one another is the King James word there. Spur spur one another is what the NIV says, uh, to love and to good deeds and encourage one another. And so uh, both by pattern and by precept, uh, the scriptures say that we're to be a part of the local church. Uh, reason number four, we've got three more to plow through here. Uh, reason number four why the church should be a priority is because the church is God's tool to fulfill the Great Commission. The church is God's tool to fulfill the Great Commission. About six weeks ago, we, we looked at the Great Commission and discovered that um, Less and less people in churches even know what the Great Commission is. They're, they're not aware. It's, it's, uh, that term's not found in Scripture, but it's, it's been identified with Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. 
And so the church has been given a, a mission, a commission, what? To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And how are we to fulfill that? Well, we can individually try to do that, and we should be doing that, but uh, collectively we can do it much more effectively. The old word, uh, the acrostic for the the phrase team, together each accomplishes more. Uh, Philippians 1.27, Paul writes about contending as one for the faith of the gospel. It's the word sunathleo. You're all on the same team, and our goal is what the gospel And so being part of a church helps us fulfill the great commission of taking the gospel everywhere. Now, not only do we need to do that in our community, but um, in in our uh, assembly, we uh, also do that through a missions program. And we have about 12 missionaries that, that we partner with through finances and through prayers and, uh, Actually, there's a sheet out there on the ministry table that lists all our missionary names. I hope you pick one of those up and familiarize yourself with it. But when we we come together and and, um, give sacrificially and pray together, I I want you to realize that um, those finances not only impact our ministry here, but they go around the world. Jared and Leah Haynes, ministry in Paraguay, they were just here about a month ago and and uh, they've been faithfully serving the Lord down there for seven or eight years. Uh, Martin and Linda Valcarcel have a Hispanic ministry in the southern part of the United States, and we're partners with them. Joe and Sharon Goodman, that will be here next Sunday, they work in uh, the home office of Ethnos 360 in Sanford, Florida, in member care and in caring for the missionaries that are part of uh, Ethnos 360, and they spent years in Panama working with the Kuna tribe and sharing the gospel with them. Mark and Holly Woodward in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Brian and Sherry Jenks uh, with the Iwana ministry in South Central Michigan, where they oversee 120 churches that have Iwana program. Mitchell and Tara Wimbush in Kenya. Drew and Van, uh, Christine Van Team in Scotland. And so collectively as a church, we can come together and, and have an impact for the cause of Christ as, as a church body, not only locally, but as we uh, invest and prayerfully partner with uh, those who God's called to go to the far reaches of the world to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, fifthly, why the church should be a priority. Uh, Number five, the church needs to be a priority because it's designed to meet the needs of the church family. So the church is, is, is described as a body in 1 Corinthians, and the church is a family uh, Paul uh, writes about brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you go down south and go to some worship services, you'll, you'll be called, you know, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Uh, what's that mean? The, the, the church is a family. And, and what does a family do? A family, functioning correctly, meets each other's needs. Uh, that's what part, being a part of a family is all about, it's meeting needs. So the church needs to be a priority in our life because it's designed to meet the needs of the church family, the, body, the local body of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, um, the need for prayer. The need for prayer. James chapter 5, 
familiar portion of Scripture, verses 13 and 14. Interesting, James closing the book, he says, Is any among you in trouble? Uh, let him pray. First, first line of defense is, if you're in trouble, you need, you need to pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. But then verse 14, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Also, James says, if, if you're sick, what should you do? Well, you need to ask for prayer. Uh, later on, James talks about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so James says, hey, if you're, if you're sick, um, I want to I ask for prayer. Might be appropriate to you know, call the call the church and contact the church leaders and have them begin praying for you. That's why it's important to be part of a of a local body. And and, and I've talked to some people in, in in you know this age of COVID and and I'm not being I'm not being critical. And they they tell me they're enjoying so much just staying at home and they can watch you know all these different church services online and get spiritually fed and that's that's wonderful. Well, I want to tell you this: is if you get sick and are sick and are in the hospital, guess what? Your online pastor isn't going to come visit you. <laughs> he he he's not going to say, "Well, you know, let me drive 500 miles and I'll I'll come and encourage you, or I'll come pray for you." Um, and so, uh, when we need prayer, uh, that's that's part of the responsibility and. And uh, of of the church body isn't isn't interesting that James says uh, that the elders should pray over people, and then it says anoint them with oil. And commentators and pastors and have uh, discussed this ad nauseum what that means, and and some think it's literally anointing someone with oil. Um, Others people think that uh, oil was used as medicine in the first century, and so they're saying prayer and medicine. So which is it? To be honest, I don't know. Um, Not sure, but certainly the prayer part's important, and um, I I have very infrequently been asked to come anoint somebody with oil in my years of ministry, but I, I have been asked several times, and I've always done it. I've had people call up and say, hey, you know, I'm really, really sick. And, you know, would you maybe come over and maybe bring a church leader? And would you anoint me with oil? And I say, absolutely. And, uh, and we, we do that because um, if that's if, what, what they are asking of. So which, whichever one it is, um, uh, the whole uh, matter is here that uh, the church family meets needs and the need for, for prayer. Uh, w- what other needs does the church family meet? Well, if you look at Scripture, um, the need for food. Acts chapter 6. And uh, here it is. Uh, the church is growing, and the church is, has the first meals on wheels. They're, they're delivering food to the widows. And it's it's getting to be a little bit too much. And so they have a little meeting here, and they, they uh, arrange for uh, seven men that are full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost, and they're going to help the apostles with this delivering food ministry. And, uh, and they become the first deacons. And the apostles say, we're going to devote ourselves to the, the study of God's word and to prayer. But what was the church doing? It was, it was meeting the needs, the physical needs of, of, of food. And uh, that's all about part about being a church family. 
that, that we want to meet the needs of those, uh, not only in our family, but, um, but others in our community that we can, we can help with. Now, I've learned over the years um, to try to be discerning with this because every pastor has a boatload of stories of people that have, um, you know, called up and are, are asking uh, for money or asking for food. And uh, I want to tell you, when, when someone has asked uh, for food, I've, I've uh, learned to uh, be a little discerning. And sometimes we'll take them for food. Sometimes we'll give them a try to get a gift card for food. Um, I remembering about a year ago, a fellow was calling me repeatedly, and he was telling me this story of his desperate story of um, all of his needs. And he says, "I haven't eaten in two or three days, you know. And can and can the church help?" And uh, actually, I, as he was telling me this, I'm kind of remembering like I mean, this guy called me a couple years ago, and I remember talking to him, and so I engaged in conversation with him, and. Um, he was asking for, for money, and finally I said, well, you know what? Um, I went to Diane, and I said, let's get some groceries, and we got two bags of groceries ready to go. And I called him back up, and I said, hey, we've got two bags of groceries for you. You tell me where to meet you, and we're just going to deliver these groceries to you if you haven't eaten in two days. All of a sudden, he wasn't hungry anymore. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you know, I don't... No, we don't have to do that. And it's like, well, um, you know, you just have to be discerning. Uh, but the church family is designed to, to meet needs. Today we are relying on the government, right? Uh, uh, you know, everybody looks to the government to, to supply those needs. In the first century, it was the church that did that. Uh, the, the third area here is financial support. And uh, 2 Corinthians 8 uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and they're taking a love offering for the, the needy saints in Jerusalem. And Paul says, out of your deep poverty, you gave to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, whom you don't even know, but you took a love offering for them. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, there's a, the widow's list, and it's, it's who qualifies to be supported financially by the church. And Paul goes through a long section there, and he says... You have to be uh, 60 years or older, and the first line of defense is your own family. So uh, if you have children and grandchildren, Paul says, and I really like this verse, they need to repay you by taking care of you. You can look that up in 1 Timothy 5 and can use that with your kids and grandkids someday. But why is this list there? It's Paul's saying these are the widows that qualify for Financial support from the church. And by the way, the scripture says, what is pure religion? Undefiled. It's, it's, it's caring for widows and orphans in their distress. And so reason number five why the church needs to be a priority is because it's, it's designed to meet, uh, meet the needs, the physical needs of the church family. Lastly, reason number six and these are just kind of in a random order, but uh, here's number six. The church needs to be a priority in our lives because it helps foster spiritual growth. So the church is designed for a place where we can what grow spiritually. And how does that happen? Well, a lot of different ways, but basically spiritual growth happens the same way that physical growth happens. We grow physically through diet and exercise. We go spiritually through diet and exercise. 
diet meaning in spiritual sense God's word. First Peter two two, like newborn babes, crave spiritual milk, God's truth, so that by it you may what? Grow up in your salvation. How are you going to grow in your salvation? It's, it's by getting into God's word. And as someone has said, we'll never become Christ-like until we know what Christ is like. The goal of our lives is God wants us to be Christ-like. Uh, we need to, to know who Jesus is and who Christ is like. And so it's, it's, it's getting in God's word. It's a regular diet and exposure to God's word. And Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the fact that God has given um, spiritual gifts, and part of those gifts are what pastors and, and, and teachers, what to equip God's people until we all reach unity and faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. So one of the gifts to the churches is pastors and teachers that can preach and teach. God's word so that we can learn spiritual truth and grow up in our salvation. But it's not just the intake of God's word, but it's also exercise. Paul to Timothy says, um, train yourself to be godly. Uh, the word there, the Greek word for train is the word uh, gymnos. It's from the gymnasium. We get our English word gymnasium. And he says, Exercise, train yourself to be godly. And one of the ways that we do that is not only by uh, intaking God's word, but also but applying it to our life. By recognizing that all of us have a, a, some sort of giftedness within the body of Christ. And as we exercise and use that, that gift, it builds up the body and the body grows and becomes stronger as we exercise our giftedness. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift that is in you. And Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus and it was a struggle. And he says, hey, you need to, you need to just uh, use that giftedness. Fan it into flame. And so Ephesians 4 talks about the, the body of Christ, that, that we, we grow to become mature and verse 16, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as we exercise our giftedness, not only do we grow, but it builds up um, the body of Christ. Well, the priority of the church, and in our culture, uh, we're kind of fighting and swimming upstream, but there's at least six reasons, and there could be about 20 more that we could add, but this, this morning, six reasons why it should be a priority. Because it's God's idea. Because of the great cost. It came at the cost of Jesus and his, his life and his blood and the suffering that he went through. Because the scriptures encourage us to not stop meeting together, but to continue to, to, to come together and encourage one another to love and good deeds. Helps us fulfill the Great Commission. It gives us a safety net to be part of a, uh, an extended family that's going to pray for you and that's going to meet your needs and encourage you. And lastly, it's a place of spiritual growth where we can continue to grow in our walk and in our faith. 
And so the church, it's God's idea, and he is building his church, and he wants us to partner with him in that. So this morning, I don't know where you are in that 30, 40, 30 hypothesis. Obviously, you're not part of the 30 that's maybe disappeared COVID, but um, I would encourage you to uh, think about these uh, six reasons and to realize that uh, uh, the church is something that is valuable, that needs to be honored, and um, is it something of convenience for many people today? It is, but it really needs to be a part of commitment because that's where God wants us to be. And we'll be stronger for it, you'll be stronger for it, and uh, God will, will bless us all. All right, let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the church. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being part of the blood-bought throng of believers. Help us to be reminded this morning of the great cost of our salvation. And Lord, we're here just to say uh, thank you. Uh, to say thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the, the hope of, of eternal life someday. And Lord, thank you that um, we realize that um, our ultimate destination is not on planet Earth, but we're really in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. Our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, help us to value and treasure the church of Jesus Christ. May we be committed to it because this is your idea and this is your plan and it will fulfill your purposes. And so we thank you for uh, the opportunity to be reminded again of uh, what you've done for us and uh, how much we uh, need uh, the body of Christ. May we uh, make that commitment or recommitment today in our lives, and we'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.